Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, and I mean comic books, if you're wanting me to get specific. Uh, this is a show hosted by two brothers, Will Hines and Kevin Hines. We are comedians and performers from New York and L.A., and also comic book lovers from since childhood, since I was uh, a wee lad and Will was a slightly older wee lad. We've been reading comics. Uh, and yeah, now we're going to talk to you about those comics that we've grown up loving. I'm Kevin Hines again, and my co-host is... Will Hines. Yeah. Uh, the aforementioned brother, the slightly less wee lad. That's right. When we read these comics originally. I was actually in college, I think, when I read this comic originally. Yeah, a wee, a wee lad. <laughs> um, we're, doing, uh, we're doing issues of the Sandman series, the DC Comics slash Vertigo comic Sandman. Yeah, this is our arty season. Uh, we've done a bunch of superhero stuff. Now we're getting smart. You better be ready. To be really smart and challenged intellectually with the stuff we're going to get I mean, into. We're talking two syllable words coming out of our mouths during this podcast. Oh, yeah. It's no, oh, yeah. No more of this monosyllabic stuff we've been doing in the earlier seasons. Up until now, you've thought of us mostly as two dummies who can barely talk. Yeah. Now we're going to really smarten it the heck up. Yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to smarten this thing. Put down our sandwiches. Put down our dumbbells. Yeah. We're taking the bologna sandwiches out of our mouths. Yeah, we're going to, and putting our little mortarboard graduation hat right on our head with the yellow tassel. Yeah, on the side it's supposed to be. Whatever side that is. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. The side that says, we matriculated. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Who's that? Yeah, there you go. It started you already. Just, you earned another bologna sandwich. And uh, we're doing issue, what is it, 13, 14? What are we doing today? Uh, 13. Yeah, this is Men of Good Fortune, a standalone issue. One of the, I think, one of the standout issues of the whole series. And um, you I'm say that having you picked it. every issue we're covering, I know. So if you, had Kevin, said, like, let me. This is sort of a, a dud issue. I'd be like, well, you, why'd you pick it? Yeah, uh, it was so hard to not pick every single issue. I'm sure you felt the same way when we did our JLI stuff. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to talk about it. So the last um, issue we covered was issue eight. Yes, death and dream. Yeah, it was dream and death. Uh, we met death for the first time in this series. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was kind of a casual chat issue following sort yes. of this epic quests and horror comics that preceded it. What's yeah. happened since then? Like, wh- wh- where are we at now? Okay. What's going on to Sandman? Great question. Because last we so, saw him, he was happy and carefree. So I assume that now he's sort of a jokester character. <laughs> so we got a lot of comedy. Yes, at the end of issue eight, he had a moment of levity and contentment. He went right back to moping <laughs> and being sad. Um, yeah, th- we're doing a standalone issue today, but this standalone issue happens in the middle of a long arc that we're not going to talk about called A Doll's House. Um, what's happened is, so as you remember last episode, the Sandman comic book series begins with Lord Morpheus, Dream, the god-ish of the dream world. Small g god. Small G God, having been captured but for a hundred years. Small G boldface italics. Yeah. God. Small G boldface italic God um, uh, has been captured for a hundred years and he spends the first seven issues kind of like gaining back some of his weapons and sort of recovering his kingdom. And he starts off in a very weakened state. The second big adventure arc of Sandman called A Doll's House um, is is an awesome story that we're again, not going over, but is there are certain characters from his realm, which is called the dreaming that have escaped. And so he's basically going to track them down and 
there are they're dangerous characters, especially one of them called the Corinthian, this nightmare monster. But because um, he's in charge of dreams and nightmares, so he's a lot of creepy beings in under his domain. So even though it's a big arc, it sort of still feels like now I'm gonna get he's this guy. Re- now I'm gonna get this guy. Yeah, there's like still good guy, bad guy stuff there, and the main the main story centers around a protagonist named Rose, who and I'm so embarrassed, I forget why, but she herself has like some kind of supernatural ancestors. I think Desire, possibly, uh, the other the the god who is the in charge of Desire, mm-hmm. but she herself is what's called a dream vortex. So wherever she goes, people around her, their dreams are disrupted. And she is a powerful being of chaos that our, that Lord Morpheus doesn't have full control over because he's in a weakened state. So he kind of wants to contain her. Um, well, he doesn't even know about her at the beginning of the arc, but we see it from her point of view that these weird dream disruption thing manifests and becomes more and more powerful and out of control until the end of the series when Lord Morpheus has to kind of intervene and contain her. And that's like the story. The end of this of arc. The doll's house. Yeah. And, but yes, it is still, it's still closer to monster of the week, battle of the or monster of the issue, battle of the issue. It's still closer to a horror comic rather than just a fantasy comic. Because it's it's really gruesome and scary mm-hmm. in a lot of the Doll's House stuff. It definitely is and written I a little. It. it feels like it is written a little smarter uh, than the first arc, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, but the yeah. first arc also had that sort of thing. It's like, oh, I need to get my helmet. I need to get my bag of sand. I need to go check out my house. You know, right. uh, make sure everything's like someone you know brought the mail in. Uh, he's <laughs> got right. like a checklist to do, and then like the last thing is um, uh, the ruby. He does something at the end. Like there's one that takes, oh, he has to get his ruby, right? Or gem. It's the ruby, yeah. Yeah. From Dr. Destiny. And that takes a few issues to do. Yes. But it still feels like it's a checklist of things where like later arcs feel like this is a five issue story. Yes. Where it all kind of flows together. I guess the rose part makes this um, a little bit of that more. Yeah, and Rose lives in Florida and all the other people uh, around her are... Each of them is a really interesting character. Um, Rose herself is like had a tough childhood and she kind of is on her own. And like, I think we find out when oh, she, so, so she's, she's like a punk rock girl who's like tough and can handle herself, but is also scared and sad and vulnerable. And is the kind of character that at this time in superhero comics, you didn't see a lot of protagonists like Rose. And she's got gay friends and like, and is, mm-hmm. and talks about her trauma, traumatic childhood. Um, and, uh, and basically the house where she lives in everybody else is also weird characters who are going through their own stuff. And so that's kind of different than the first series. Like we're yeah. really starting to flesh out these side characters a lot more, which becomes a hallmark of Sandman. Comics. So I've got a couple more thoughts before we even get into the issue. Or questions, really. I don't have answers for any of this stuff. So this one is a self-contained issue. Like, it doesn't even mention Rose. It's it's totally separate from that. It has no impact yeah. on the greater story. That's right. Um, later on, they would do a bunch of these. To, are there other arcs that have, like, issues in the middle that are sort of completely self-contained like this? Or is that no, what, an invention he... that he, Neil Gaiman starts doing more later? Um. 
Well, I think what generally starts to happen is there'd be an arc of like six or seven issues unbroken and then a collection of four or five standalone stories that might have a very loose framing device or mm-hmm. maybe not even. And then back into a six or seven issue story and then four or five standalone but stories. Do any of so the, this, th- but do those stories have like self-contained stories like this within it as well? Or does that not really happen again? That does not really happen again. That makes this one very interesting. Um, and then my other thing was I was reading up on this, uh, cause you had mentioned that issue eight that we covered last week was collected in two volumes. Yeah. And so I, I looked into that cause I was curious. I was like, that's interesting. Um, and what I guess happened was they didn't collect the first seven issues initially. They collected oh, okay. doll's house with issue eight and it As was, prologue. It, and it sold so well, they collected the first one, the first seven issues, and then they put eight in there. And then later printings of Doll's House did not have issue eight in it. Oh, okay. So I just bought Doll's House early enough that I had it. Yeah. So you probably got the first collection of it and it was just yeah. like, oh, it's in there. And so, and like, I think they realized like, oh, we're going to collect all of this, which is another thing like now comics always do. Uh, it feels yeah. like all, especially Vertigo comics, but even like all mainstream Marvel and DC comics, almost everything is like every issue is collected where it used to be like, this arc was huge. We'll collect this. Otherwise, nothing else. And so you got to get yeah. back issues if you want to read it. This, to me, Sandman was one of the early comics that sort of made it like we're collecting everything and we're going to do that for really good comics. And then that slowly spread to like everything because the collection sold so well. Um, That's cool. I love that this was a success and a hit and that everybody loved it. I loved it. I also I mean, think I love it. Sorry, go. Yeah. No, no. I was going to say I love every single issue of Sandman. Yeah. So. I also think the formatting of it, that it's got like these arcs and then also self-contained issues, became a pretty standard thing for a lot of Vertigo books. At least Mike Carey followed that um, formula a lot. He would tell like a story arc and then have like sort of single issue stories within that um, mm. between. Uh, for, for a lot of comics, I think it's like the main artist does the arcs and then the self-contained ones are by other artists to give them like yeah. a break to catch up where this one has different artists all the time. Yeah. But that also sort of becomes a thing of just like arcs and then shorter things and then arcs and the shorter things. Hmm. A hundred bullets did that too, to some, ex- to a, to a lesser extent. Um, it does feel like at the time that this comic came out, we're transitioning to where these sort of like adult ambitious stories are in, are coming into the mainstream a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, in the 60s, comics were unabashedly for kids, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds. They happen to be of high quality sometimes, but that was almost incidental. Then, And, of course, there's underground artsy comics at all times that appeal to lots of different age groups, but superhero comics. Then in the 80s, Dark Knight, Watchmen were like ambitious superhero comics. And then Sandman, like four years later, is kind of like, look, we can just tell good stories and publish them under the big guy's banner, DC Marvel. And that's not such a crazy thing. Yeah, it is it is also, I mean, uh, other than sort of being one of the books that uh, inspired Vertigo to exist, um, it just seems like it set the template for what Vertigo books would feel like, even if they weren't part of the Sandman universe. Um, yeah. It's an inspiration. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got uh, to say. <laughs> well, 
let's get into this issue. So this is um, so like we just talked a lot about Doll's House, which I do really love and is a terrific arc. But I've kind of we're not really going to get into it, just because if I let myself get into every single thing that's good about Sandman, then we'll have seventy five episodes. Yeah. So I think I'm it's going to forego it. Yeah, I think this it's, standalone issue is pretty famous, and it definitely stood out in my mind for a long time after I read it. Kevin, I feel like you and I would talk about this issue. Yeah. A lot. I was still reading the comic. I think I skipped the first trade. I think I read the trade that you bought, probably. Okay. And so I probably started with issue eight and had never read the first seven for a long time. Because I okay. read this one, and then um, when I first read I've read it all since, obviously. But I read Doll's House. What comes after Doll's House? Uh, Dream Country, which is four standalone issues. So and then I Season think I read Dream Mists. Country, and then what's after that? Season of Mists. What's the one with like the fantasy characters... On like a journey, like she's got like two worlds, like her imagination world. A game of you. I think that's where I stopped reading it the first time through. Okay. Um, so I think I was reading it as you got the collections mm. um, and enjoying it. Not as much as you, but liking it. And being like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then I think when I got to game of you, I think I remember that one being like, oh, this is, feels like work. I'm going to go yeah. read an issue of uh, Hulk. <laughs> game of you is my favorite. I can't wait to get to it. Uh, um, I mean, I've gone back and read them all and enjoyed them all. Um, but I think that's why after that point I've, I have less knowledge because I've only read it. A, I've read it yeah. fewer times. So I'm excited yeah. to get to those issues. This issue is yeah. sort of a chore for me because I've read it a few times. No, uh, <laughs> this issue is great. And I do remember talking about it. And it's a really fun idea. It's another yeah. one that feels like you take Sandman out of it and just make this a short story. It's great. It's good. It's yeah. really great. Um, so uh, this, this issue is a standalone issue. It's called Men of Good Fortune. And it's about a man that Sandman grants eternal life to and visits him every hundred years. Yeah. And, and we just sort of see what this guy, we st- we visit this guy every hundred years and see what his life is like. Um, it's, it's a fun story and it's an example of, um, you know, when the, when comics are good and successful, you want to tell people like, Oh, here's why it's good. Here's why it's good. Neil tells a good story. Like this is a good idea, but it's also well told. It's fun. The reveal is fun. Um, it is. It enjoys its own premise. The character is good. It's just a rich story. And by the end of this issue, if you're not impressed with Neil Gaiman's just ability to spin a yarn, I don't know what's wrong with you. Like, yeah, it's got a fun mechanism. It explores the idea in a number of different ways. And also, keeps on your toes. Like, if this is a short story, like a true like twenty page short story, I feel like you could fit more stuff in. That's tough with comics where it's like you really sit in these moments. You'd basically get like, what is it, seven moments? Right. Um, and some of them are very short and some of them are a little longer because you only have 22 or so pages. It's tough to get it all in there. It's impressive how much story is really in this comic. Um, let's get into it. Sure. Do we uh, want to talk about the cover at all or is that? Yeah, sure. The cover is, uh, uh, so Dave McKeon does all the covers and they're always kind of like a weird I should weird like an abstract sort of collage atmospheric situation. I think weird in the sense very different from other comic books. Yeah. If you're like looking at a rack of comics, Sandman comics really stood out. Um, so we see what looks like two, two or three figures that are like skeletons peering out from a dark room. Right. Yeah. And, it, and it's almost like they're, there's like a, the rest of it's sort of like a tablet, like sort of like a, a a stone, like a Gutenberg Bible. Yeah, like, yeah. I think. 
um, like an old print and there's like a watch kind of buried in the, there's watches and clocks hidden behind the parchment. Uh, it gives you really no hint at all as to what's going on inside. I can look back and see that there's issues of eternity and death and, you know, ancient times, but looking at the cover, you don't know what's going yeah. on. It just looks cool. Um, Let's get into it. Yep. We open on um, we open on a we, tavern. We should say this, this is uh, drawn by Michael Zuli. Oh yes, thank you. Because uh, it's different uh, pencilers all the time, and uh, Michael Zuli is a great artist, uh, but different a different artist than the last issue we talked about. That's right. That's thank all. you, Kevin. Great. Um, yeah, this is Neil Gaiman is such the star of the show. I think in terms of the creativity that and the artist deserves obviously credit. So thank you for bringing yeah. that up. Um, so we're open on like a tavern in the 1300s, it turns out, and, uh, it's just looking medieval and it's just, you know, guys in your sort of requisite Monty Python and the Holy Grail style, just like rags mm-hmm. were like in sort of Arthur- Arthurian era, even though this is quote unquote real world, not King Arthur's world. And we over, we're overhearing chatter of their conversations. And, um, that's kind of a thing because we, st- we hear chatter throughout the centuries and a lot of times similar versions of things are being said. So this is both establishing the time and also setting up kind of running gags. Like the first the first balloon is somebody saying, third poll tax in three years. What else could we have done? Complaining about taxes. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is when Ball and Tyler were killed, the spirit of the working man died with them. You know, they're talking about the issues. Um War, plague, two bloody popes fighting like weasels in heat. The end of the world is soon. You mark me. Um, murder, nor rape. We need a return to law and to order. The king should act against these bandits. So we're going to hear like different versions of those throughout the centuries. Right. And then kind of uh, Sandman and Death, Dream and Death arrive uh, dressed they're aware- in period garb. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're dressed appropriately for the era. And they're mid-conversation. Dream yeah. is saying very well, but I still do not see what purpose this will serve. And and death, yeah, that's Dream. And death is saying, well, at least I get out and meet them. I just think maybe it would be good for you to see them on their terms instead of yours. Um, so this is death's idea. Yeah, death is always sort of dragging Dream out to do things. We saw that sort of in issue eight. Like she's sort of snapping him out of his moping. It seems like almost the same thing is happening here. Yeah, it does. It feels for this podcast, we're sort of picking right up where we left off, even though there's been a yeah. couple issues of the comic. Whether he's moping or not, there's something he, emotionally or uh, in his work, there's something that's affecting him. And she's like, come on, let's go to a bar. Let's meet some let's, humans. Yes. Uh, the third panel of this first page, the last panel of this first page, we see who was our main character, Hob. Mm-hmm. And uh, when as we first see him, he is just a just a dude with red hair in this bar. And he's talking about death, which is like the theme of the issue. Yeah. Who just entered the bar. Yeah. The, and the personification of death is right behind him. He goes, look, I've seen death. I lost half my village to the black death. I fought under Buckingham and Burgundy. And you know what a pig's ear that was. It's not like I don't know what death is. And we're going to come back to what he's talking about in a second. But for the second page, we sort of just see dream and death getting situated. And we also see somebody talking to Jeffrey Chaucer. Right, we see some famous authors throughout this. Um, this bar is a big hangout for like any. This is like the Forrest Gump bar. It's like yeah. the most famous iconic figures of the centuries kind of wander through it. They go back to this bar every hundred years. Every scene is set in this bar. It's also amazing this bar is still there. Yeah, in different owners and different. Yeah, that's right. Or eighty four, whatever it is. Um, so death is talking to like the 
saloon keeper or whatever, a penny ale for me and another for my brother, if it please you. Then we cut to somebody talking to Jeffrey Chaucer. That's a big Neil Gaiman thing. Like just kind of literate people are just hanging around. Mm -hmm. Um, And somebody's telling Chaucer, Jeffrey, I see no great wrong in writing in Lengua de Trel Vistes. I don't even know what that is. Rather than La Bella Francaise. But English has its own form of verse. Piers Plowman, that's what people want, not filthy tales and rhyme about pilgrims. And Chaucer is defending his decisions to write tales for the common, body tales for the common men in verse. Yeah. And that's kind of like a class, that's a classic Neil Gaiman Easter egg. Yeah. Like you have to realize that's Chaucer. You have to have heard of um, the Canterbury Tales. Is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah. The Canterbury Tales. Bouillard's favorite book. (laughs) <laughs> Should we get into Bouillard? I don't think we can. <laughs> um, That's an Easter egg for people who know us personally. <laughs> deep Easter egg. Uh, then there's also a little, another on the second page here, as Dream and Death are getting seated, and Dream is looking very serious, and Death is very happy. We overhear a dirty joke in the background, the end of it, up her dress, and she says, are you hunting for rabbits again, friar? And I just want to point that out because that same joke in almost the exact same words is told on the last page in 1989. Oh, man, maybe I didn't notice that. Um, like a lot of these background chatter things, they show parallel versions of them show up in the subsequent centuries, but told with new specifics. But that joke survives untouched. Uh, I got to see, see that. That's funny. I didn't even notice. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we go back to Hob, and he's basically saying that death is stupid he doesn't believe in it. People only die because they think they have to. Yeah. He and said, he is just going to refuse to die. Nobody has to die, he says. I've made up my mind. Uh, my mind uh, I made my mind up arse deep in burgundy mud. Hob gaddling, I told myself. Every man and woman dies, they say. Uh, the guy interrupts. Except the wandering Jew. A hosserus, I think, who denied our Lord. Yeah, fair enough. Everyone dies, I thought, except for maybe the wandering Jew. But why the hell should I? I might get lucky. There's always a first time. And then we cut to death, a close-up of death who's kind of smirking, I guess laughing that this guy thinks he's going to beat death, mm-hmm. and death is literally right behind him. Yeah. There's always a chance um, that she was there to get him, too. We, I guess we don't know that for sure. Yeah, it could be that she's she had some errands to run here, and she just took Dream along with her. But they've overheard this guy bragging that he's not going to die, and this is such a cool moment at the top of page uh, four, Dream turns and faces Death and just goes, it might be interesting, question mark. And Death goes, very well. Are you going to tell him or I? I shall. And basically, she has said, I will not take him and he will live forever. Yeah. As, and, you know, as a favor to you, yeah. Dream. I also think when she's fa- she fades away then at, after that moment, and I, I sort of, and I, it's hard to tell for sure, I think there's a little smile. Like she's glad yeah. that he is doing. He's gotten this. interested. He's playing in with the them. common people, and and by doing that, she's hopeful that her goal, which is him understanding and uh, humans better, will come out. Now, this next page is an example. I totally agree with that, Kevin. I love that interpretation. By the way, this next page has an example of what I love about Neil Gaiman, which is like, okay, this is a fun idea. A guy's going to live forever, and we're going to visit him every hundred years. But the way Dream tells him is sort of fun. So Dream walks up to him, this like pale ghost of a man (laughs) with a completely serious, humorless expression and says, did I hear you say that you had no intention of ever dying? Hob goes, yeah, that's right. It's a mugs game. I won't have any part of it. And then he goes, 
and this both works as a serious thing and as a joke, then you must tell me what it's like. Let us meet here again, Robert Gadling, in this tavern of the White Horse in a hundred years. And the whole table cracks up yeah. at that. And it's so funny. It also is very clearly telling us, the reader, what this story is going to be. Yeah. They're all laughing because they're like, oh, yeah, if you're going to live forever, just let's come back here every hundred years and prove it. Though they won't be here to see it. It's all funny. But he takes death a dream up on that offer. He looks him right in the eye. He's looking right into the us, the reader's eye. Don't mind them. They're thick as King Dick, the lot of them. A hundred years time on this day. I will see you in the year of our Lord, 1489 then. And like, what an efficient way to just tell us the yeah. exposition of this story. Like, it's fun. Like, I can't wait now to cut forward a hundred years and see him again. Uh, even though I know people see Dream in the way they're supposed to, um, people do sometimes remark on their complexion and things like that. And there's an aspect of like Hellboy to dream where people don't like freak out at his weird, unnatural appearance. Yeah, he's yeah. unnerving. No one seems that uncomfortable around him. Like you should be. So we turn the page and we have cut forward a hundred years and we're back in the same tavern and dream and Hob are sitting down over a drink and Hob looks clean shaven and he looks more youthful, really just cleaned up. Right. And he, and his expression, which we previously saw was defiant and kind of confrontational, is now kind of a little bit bewildered. And he goes, how did you know? Who are you? Yeah. And it's fun to think about what he must have thought mm-hmm. over the last hundred years as he did not die. Or get much older. Age. Yeah. yeah. He, at, at a certain point, he must just be like, when he realized this was coming, be like, here's where I get my answers. Yeah, he's been thinking about this probably for decades. Yeah. He's like that weird guy in the bar knew something and I, and I have an appointment to see him. So I'm going to see him. And here he is seeing him. It's, it's fun. Like what a fun exploitation of this premise. Yeah. And same man doesn't really give him any answers, which sort of a a jerk move. Yeah. Are you a wizard, a saint, a demon? Have I made, have I unwitting made a bargain with the devil? No, I am merely interested. Yeah. Um, why are they not? Why aren't I dead long since? Is this some kind of game? You've not died, I see. Ha, no, I'd say the same about you, only you're so pale that I could be wrong. Yes, you could. I came because I'm interested. Death will not touch you, Hobgadling, unless you truly desire it. So it's like confirmed for him. Yeah, if you're going to live forever. Yeah, but also he has an out. Yeah, if, unless you truly desire it. Um, but at this point, Sam and is he's keeping him at arm's length. Like even when he says, who are you? It's almost like he's going to answer. No, I am merely interested. Like he doesn't say I'm merely I'm the king uh, of dreams. Yeah, I'm just a, I'm a minor deity of an abstract concept. Yeah. My sister is in charge of death and is allowing mm-hmm. you to live because she wants me to get to know common people. But he, you know, throughout this page, he basically just keeps saying, I'm interested. Tell me about it. Uh, you have not died. I see which is a dumb thing to say to somebody. Uh, yeah. That's a given. So we start to hear Hobbes' observations. He goes, the world's changing. So we are in the time of, um, so like there's a fireplace in the bar Mm -hmm. and he like comments on that. Chimneys is brilliant. Not having your eyes watering all the time, not freezing from the holes in the wall. Right. Somebody is complaining about the chimney and they're saying, well, we used to have smoke in our, our lungs were stronger for having like our homes filled with smoke is what somebody is saying. Yeah. And Hobbes knows that's old idiot. He says. Yeah, uh, he's remarking on how it's an improvement, how technology. It, so it's kind of funny to think, what would you notice if you lived from 1389 to 1489? And one of the big things you might notice is, oh wow, we have chimneys now. What a what a good move. 
but and it's we do that with so we do that with so many things right it's like oh you shouldn't do this right like uh you don't put fluoride in the water that's terrible and you know like, huh, i don't know i saw when we didn't everyone's teeth was terrible maybe i'm using that as a random example of things i've heard people complain about that a hundred years ago wasn't true and and now is good <laughs> it's just yes it's such a great i don't know thing device or whatever like a thing that neil gaiman is sensitive to which is like i'm gonna put you the reader in the position of smart person who can see that these people are saying foolish things and you will recognize it as a thing that people around you say all the time or whatever i'm going to humanize this supernatural event uh, dream is still very off put off putting uh not into this guy at all this guy's sort of telling his stories like uh he's, he's talking about how great handkerchiefs are uh, and then he goes, yeah. we, uh, see the guys in the corner playing at Trump and rough. We never had them in the old days playing cards. And his response to that was just most impressive. What will you people think of next? As if yeah, he's, he's kind of smug. Nothing. Like, yeah. And the guy says uh, something to get rid of fleas with any luck. It's like, oh yeah, they have fleas and that's a big problem. They'd be like dream meets you and you're just sort of like a ah, PlayStation four. This is so cool. And he's like, that's not that cool thing. Well, yeah. Because he doesn't understand um, how cool it is. Yes. Um, <laughs> I guess it's also to think like as much as like iPhones and the internet have changed our lives, I guess like chimneys and playing cards and uh, sure, yeah. handkerchiefs might be the thing of that era or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, he talks a little bit about his jobs. He used to be like a mercenary who just was a soldier for money, but now he's gotten into printing, which he says is not going to be a big thing and won't make that much money. It's just short term cash. We, the reader, know that he is picking probably the best industry you could for your time. Yeah, that's a good choice. He's basically like, yeah, I'm working with this guy, Steve Jobs. He says computers are big. Yeah, whatever. It's an easy buck. Yeah. So you still want to live? Oh, yes. A hundred years then. Oh, yes. So we cut forward another hundred years. Let's take a break here, Will. Kevin, great call. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about, or the format of the show, or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back mere minutes later, not a hundred years. Yeah. Though we, when we last left off, Will was saying I made a great decision. <laughs> yeah. To take a break. You're very good at, yeah. you were very good at monitoring the time. It's nice to get a compliment. <laughs> So now we're up to 1589 and we are seeing we're back at the White Horse Tavern or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Dream walks in to meet up with Hob and in the big the big background conversation of this is William a not yet successful William Shakespeare is talking to Christopher Marlowe right. about his play Dr. Faustus, which is boy Neil Gaiman loves him some Shakespeare. Yeah. Like you can't go three or four issues without Shakespeare like showing up or somebody quoting Shakespeare mm -hmm. or like somebody doing Hamlet. Like there's Shakespeare all over the Sandman comics. One of the, did you pick a, the other sh the Shakespeare issue for one of the ones? We're I, I think I, I think I did not. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
Um, I want. I I was going to. I picked the Calliope issue instead from that bunch because yes. I just love the Calliope issues. So. Okay, that's a good issue. You're right. Um, um, I I guess maybe I felt like the Shakespeare issues slightly tonally redundant with this one we're doing now, but uh, I don't know. This certainly I don't know. Uh, it's fun. It sort of starts here in a way. So yeah. So Shakespeare's there talking to somebody. Uh, the guy's sort of saying your work is not good, right? Right. It's Christopher Marlowe who's written Dr. Faustus, the story of the man who sells his soul to the devil for wealth and fame. And that's a big hit play. And, and that's going to be going on in the background. But in the foreground, Hobb is waiting for Dream and he joins him. Yeah. And he is all smiles. He is. Hobb has had a great hundred years. Yeah. He's on top. Uh, Sandman. I call him Sandman, but he's actually never called Sandman in the comic. Yeah, he's, he's Dream. called Dream yeah. or Morpheus. Uh, hello, Hob. I'm not saying Morpheus. Uh, Hob, Faith, that takes me back some few years. It's Sir Robert Gads- Gadlin now, old stranger. You've had good fortune, I take it. And it turns out that he has crushed it. Yeah. He made money printing. He invested in shipyards. Uh, he's learned a trick of leaving for a while and then returning and saying he is his own son to explain his youth. Yep. Um. He's, he's a he knight. He shows a picture of he his bought wife. A knighthood. A, yep. Um, he shows a picture of his wife who's holding a, a boy in her arms. Uh, he brags that the queen slept at his house last summer. That was expensive is the way he <laughs> described that. Um, so he's, and he's, there's good wine and he comments about how times have changed. It's safe enough to walk the streets, enough food, good wine. So we're in a time of great progress. Yeah. It's also like, it, it's an interesting part of the story, especially with what comes later, where it's just sort of like, yeah, living forever would be the best. Yeah. This is the good side of it. Yeah. Um, he's able to manage his own investments. We cut away to hear Shakespeare and Marlowe talking. Marlowe reads a little of Shakespeare's verse and makes fun of it. And Shakespeare goes, oh, it's my first play. It probably is an actual quote from whatever Shakespeare's first play is. Yeah, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't like, recognize it. It should be it. your last. And then Shakespeare stands up, God's wounds, if only I could write like you. And he quotes Faustus. He's supposed to be a good actor, right? That's something that is true of Shakespeare, that he was an actor yeah. first. And, fa- and, uh, and Marlowe even compliments his acting. Yeah. So he stands up here and acts out a bit of Marlowe's monologue and is like praising it. And he goes, I would give anything to have your gifts more than anything to give men dreams that would live on long after I am dead. I'd bargain like your Faustus for that boon. And this all catches dreams ear. Yeah. He said the word dreams. Yeah. Who is he? Acts a bit, wrote a play. Is he good? Nice crap. (laughs) Now that chap there with the broken leg next to him, bent as a pewter. He's a good playwright. And Dream is, Dream goes up to Shakespeare, talks to him, yeah, takes him aside and makes a bargain that we are not witness to in this issue, but that is revealed later. That basically gives him the gift of being the best playwright ever. Yeah. I heard your talk, Will. Would you write great plays? Create new dreams to spur the minds of men? Is that your will? So he's got his ulterior motive. Yeah. He wants to, I guess, spice up people's dreams or whatever. Yeah. He needs a vehicle to l- inspire people, I guess. And then we come it's back a, to Hobbes, like just enjoying food. Yeah, white bread. I would have killed for white bread 200 years back. Come to think of it, I did a couple of times. Everything to live for, nowhere to go but up. That's the end of this chapter, yeah. uh, of this visit. 
It's also cool. There's no caption saying like 100 years later or anything like that. It's just very clear from the sharp change in clothing like and, and setting. Yeah. Lighting and setting. Yeah. So we cut back and now Dream is here and he's wearing what looks like three musketeers outfit mm-hmm. to me. Uh, this is 1689. Um, and we are hearing some chatter. Uh, one of the things we... One of the common things that is overheard is somebody's always saying it's the end of the world. And there's also always somebody complaining that the poor are getting away with handouts. Which is true today. Right. So like somebody, somebody saying make more from their poor dole than they would for honest work. I tell you, sir, men without jobs seldom drink other than the strongest ale or eat any bread, save that made with the finest wheat flour. That's always background chatter. It's kind of funny. Um, and, and, uh, dream is waiting and Hobb has not shown up yet. Yeah. Uh, and then she hears somebody screaming at the doorway who's sort of being trying to force his way in and it's Hobb and Hobb looks bad. Yeah. He's like flea bitten. He's got scruff. His hair's unkempt. He's wearing rags. Get away. You fuddled jug biter. This tavern's for gentry and decent folk. You get back to the stews with the rest of the filth. They're saying to Hobb. Yeah. Uh, but Sandman uh, says, let him be. He is my guest. And he is this like formal Three Musketeers looking dude. And uh, Hob comes in. I knew you'd be here. And he gobbles down the wine that Dream has waiting for him. Do you know how hungry a man can get if he doesn't die but doesn't eat? Yeah. And he basically says that his life's gone to shit. Yeah. His wife died in childbirth and then his son died at 20 years old. And to someone who lives forever, that's no time. Yeah. In a brawl. I didn't go out much after that, so clearly that crushed him. Mm-hmm. They tried to drown me as a witch. I lived there for 40 years, overconfident, got out with my skin a little more, and then it got worse and worse and worse. Um, I fought for the king in Parliament's War, and if you know history, that's when Oliver Cromwell takes over and the king basically gets dethroned in England. Mm-hmm. So if you were on the side of the king, you were on the losing side. But Hobble's a knight. It makes sense that he would choose that side. Yep. I've hated every second of the last 80 years. Every bloody second. You know that? So every every second since his son died. That's right. Uh, do you wish to live? Do you not seek the respite of death? And Hobb thinks about it. And then he smiles. Are you crazy? Death's a mug's game. I got so much to live for. Which is Hobb is eternally wanting life. Yeah. Uh, which is nice. Like this would be the moment if at any moment you'd think he'd be like, yeah, I'm done. This was horrible. I've been waiting to get out. Yeah. This is, his, this is his chance to get out if his next hundred years is bad. But even now, he still wants to go. So And that, and they make it a moment, right? Like mm-hmm. Just like you say, there's no captions that tell us what year it is. But he does do a good job of framing up these little like character establishing moments. Yeah. Like, it, you can't, you cannot miss it. Hob loves being alive. It's also, real estate is so uh, precious in a comic book. As I was saying earlier, there's so much story to cover here but there's two panels of Hobbes not responding. Uh, and it doesn't feel like it's just filling space to get a page count or to get to a page turning moment. It's yeah. him sort of, he considers it. Then he starts to smile a little bit and then he looks up and gives his answer. And so it's a, it, there's a, a moment there. Um, there's a little acting basically, right? Uh, yeah. That moment where you show the work is what I always would say when I would teach comedy classes is like, yeah. you can make any decision as long as I believe you would make that decision. Like, why wouldn't this guy want to die? They showed me, they showed me without him saying anything. 
He thought about it. Maybe he, he about should. It. He starts to smile and it's like, oh yeah, this guy doesn't want to die. And he says, death's a mugs game, which is what he said originally yeah. when he was talking crap in the tavern about how death is not for him. Yeah. So it's like this cool little moment. It's earned very much. Um, and so those empty panels, which Stan Lee would have hated. Would hate. Yeah. Would have filled that up. Don't there. worry. Don't worry, readers. This is a Sandman comic. We're going to get to some dream action soon. 35 lines of like, he pondered the idea. What, he, <laughs> what choice could he make? <laughs> what precious pile stone of pearls death did seem to him are simpering something, something. But if he chose death, who would fight the Dr. Octopus? <laughs> I assume this is so, Dr. Octopus. We just don't see him within the 100 if, years. If, if Stan was writing Sandman, there would be. <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, so we cut forward again. Uh, it's a living. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah, this is where he's gotten into the slave trade. So yes. now we're Oof. in um, 1789, Yeah, uh, which is in America right now. George Washington is being sworn in as president, although they don't say that here. But that's where we are in history's time. He, yeah, he talks a little bit about the colonies. Um, so he's doing better just for him. Um so he's, he describes that he's gotten into this. Well, he's shipping, right? He talks about how he bought ships a couple hundred years ago. Yeah. So now that shipping means slaves. Yeah. And he's telling um, Dream, wonderful system, really. We take English cotton goods to Africa, get a cargo of Negroes, pack them in like sardines. Same boat takes them across Atlantic, comes back with raw cotton, tobacco, and sugar. Funny thing is, I sort of started it all. I mean, it was me that funded Jack Hawkins, what, 200 years ago. So somebody that he gave money to two centuries ago is the guy that has set up this system. Or his family. Yeah, and Dream uh, immediately calls him out. You take pride in treating your fellow humans as less than animals? Like I said, it's a living. Uh, and this is one of the many ways in which Sandman comics just in, was so impressive to me. It's like they just casually walk into difficult topics. Yes. This guy's selling slaves. You know, one of the most... Uh, abysmal ways to make a living, but in 1789, if you were a man of money in England, it is not crazy that you would profit from this. Um, and in a way, maybe Neil has a good touch for facing it head on so that Dream can talk about it. Um, for the sake of our... He, and Hobb is also talking about the revolutions. Right. He goes, first the colonies, now France. He asked me, this country will be next for a revolution. I've been salting money away all over the world. First sign of trouble, I'll be out of here like that. And so his fortunes for him are up over the last hundred years. Yeah. And then the next page we see him and he's wearing a suit. He's nicely kempt. He kind of looks like a founding father sort of outfit. He looks like uh, Sam Adams on the bottle of Sam Adams. Also that he set aside money, he's like learned from like the last hundred years, how quickly it can turn on him. So he's preparing for that in eventuality. Mm -hmm. Then he goes, I saw King Lear yesterday. Uh, Mrs. Sidians is Goneril. The idiots had given it a happy ending. And now dream who off panel created the play King Lear by giving the inspiration to William Shakespeare. Isn't fretted. That will not last. The great stories will always return to their original forms. And that's a theme throughout all Sandman comics, throughout all 75 issues, is Sandman's in charge of dreams, but Neil Gaiman kind of makes it that he's just in charge of stories, mm -hmm. like the library and the dreaming that has all the books that, that were never written. He, he really is, like, protective of stories. Yeah, well, stories are a kind of dream. 
Yeah, that's what Neil Gaiman is arguing. So, like, Neil Gaiman, the writer, can talk about his love of stories through the character of Dream. But here, Hobbes sort of, he, you know, he's, this is now, what, his fourth, fifth meeting with uh, Dream? Yeah. And he remembers, oh, you know, Dream met William Shakespeare. That lad, Will Shakespeare, you did some kind of deal with him, didn't you? Perhaps, says Dream. What kind of deal? His soul? Nothing so crude. Yeah, Hobbes pretty sharp. Yeah. He put it together. He had a hundred years to think about it. Um, yeah. But he, 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 he pays a lot of attention to Dream, but he's pretty casual, given that he knows this is some like supernatural figure. He's yeah. pretty chill. Like yes. He looks pretty relaxed when he... Although we don't know how long their meetings are. Maybe they hang out for like five or six hours. Yeah, it's unclear. It seems like they meet together for like five minutes, which would seem like such a waste. Yeah. Um, I'm going to assume that it's like a couple of hours, like seeing an old friend that mm-hmm. you have a lot to catch up on. I think that the first one probably he, Dream didn't say much, but Dream says more and more as the, the years have gone by or the centuries have gone by. I mean, as, as we see at the end, the theme for Dream is that he's getting a real friend, which is someone he doesn't have. Right. Here he starts trying to get to know him better. 400 years now I've been meeting you here, and there's still so much I still don't know. Who are you truly? What manner of man are you? What's your name? Yeah. Um, and then we get to kind of a cool dramatic thing where there's a woman here named Johanna Constantine who knew that this meeting was happening and is here to kidnap I don't know, to get in on it, whatever it is. Yeah, to figure it out. Like, she's heard about this meeting of the, the wandering Jew and yeah. a demon, which is a good guess. It's not far off. Um, she's using terms that are in our world to mm-hmm. describe a Neil Gaiman, Lord of the Dreams, and a made-up man who lives forever. Um, so they put a knife to the throat of Hob, which I guess doesn't scare him at all because he knows he can't die. Right. It's interesting, like, there's just been all these clues, and, like, this has become sort of, like, this thing, whispered thing people talk about. Yeah. Uh, which is very interesting. Um, yeah, and so she kind of describes how she figured it out. Uh, two, two years passed, sewn in the shirt of a dead man. I found me a nice description of their last meeting. This inn was named, likewise, this day. So you're like, oh, she's really got her act together. She, yep. like, put it together. And it, she is... A relative of John Constantine, the Hellblazer character from Swamp Thing in his own comic. Yep. Um, television shows s- and movies and everything else. Um, and so just like John Constantine, she is special stuff. She's smarter and tougher than everybody else. She knows her. She knows her how to work her way around crazy kind of supernatural matters. She shows up again in Sandman comics some issues later. Yeah. There, there's been uh, separate st- comics with her as lead as well. This is what it, Neil, I, does Neil create her here? I think this is the first appearance of her that I know of. So I feel like that's something he does. He just like, what an intriguing thing. So this, you know, these two are meeting every hundred years. Some of the meetings are like, oh, what an interesting way to look at old times through a modern lens. Yeah. Another, another, another thing is like, oh, wouldn't it be funny to see Shakespeare before he was big? And then another one is, what if people find out about this meeting? What do they do? Yeah. Here's what they do. They show up with two guys with knives and they like, they want to know what's happening. I also think this shows just how powerful a character John Constantine is for a character that was created just for a uh, Swamp Thing story that uh, yeah. he is now a character who's been referenced twice within the Sandman comics that I know of within the first 13 issues. Was he referenced in issue eight? He's not in issue eight, but he was. Oh, but the, 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 the in one the, of the prior seven issues, he shows up. Yes. Right. Like, like he teams up with Sandman to recover his bag of sand. Yeah, this that character is big. 
And Alan Moore made John Constantine? Yeah. Invented and him then, for... And then Neil is expanding the Constantine universe with Johanna. Yes. Um, I also kind of want to say sometimes, sometimes it can be tedious to count how many women, how many this, how many representations, but this is 1989 and Neil Gaiman takes Alan Moore's John Constantine and makes a female counterpart in an earlier era who has enough style that she becomes a character that lots of people use. Mm -hmm. And Neil Gaiman was, I think, ahead of the curve in terms of diversifying the DC universe. Like that wasn't his primary agenda. It wasn't like I noticed that as I read, but I, by the end of Sandman, there is all manner of races and genders represented. I think he's a great creator and he's just sort of like, this is more interesting to have a woman here than a man. We've seen a man here in this role. It'll be different this way. Uh, Certainly gender and sexuality are expanded throughout Sandman comics at the very least. Maybe I'm not so sure about like, ethnicities but on those counts i can think of many instances where mm-hmm. sandman would go where a lot of superhero comics wouldn't go uh sandman uh, but, uh, puts them all to sleep yeah he takes out some sand and he knocks them out and sends her into a nightmare where she can see old enemies that she's disposed of returning yeah and it's interesting the way she, he describes her is also how you would describe john constantine her kind walk amidst the flotsam of lives they have sacrificed for their own purposes till friendless and alone uh, they needs must make the final sacrifice. Um, and that's the thing you always say about John Constantine. It's like being his friend is basically you're going to die. He's going to use uh, you to his own ends at some point, even if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Um, while they were being held at knife point, Hobbes says, I knew a Jack Constantine once cutting man got himself killed before you were born long time ago now. And so after Sandman does that big dramatic description of Lady Constantine, her kind walks amidst the flotsam of lives, Hob just kind of goes, yeah, Jack was like that too. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. He's so casual when yeah. he's hanging out with Sandman. Uh, uh, they just kind of walk out casually. Yep, they leave. Um, uh, and then the very ending thing, Dream tells him to give up the slave trade. Yes, it's a poor thing. He says thing to him, it is a poor it. thing to enslave another. I would suggest you find yourself a different line of business. Um, and we do see Hob shows up in Sandman comics a couple of times throughout the series. And one of the stories around this time, he's on a boat and he talks about giving up the slave trade and then he regrets it. He regrets giving it up or regrets doing it? He regrets doing it. That's he's like, I never good. should have done it. All right, good. The way you said uh, that, I thought maybe he regretted giving it up. <laughs> no, he's telling everyone to do it. It's yeah. a pro-slave trade issue. It's, <laughs> I, it's, I'm surprised it's not talked about. He's just like, I could have made more money if I stuck with it a little bit longer. <laughs> uh, no, he's like learned his lesson and yeah. he's kind of... Sometimes with Dream, Hob is like impetuous and reckless. But when we see Hob in other times, he's always a very wise man Which who knows a lot. Makes some sense. He's centuries old. Yeah. So we cut forward again. This time it's 1889. It's going to be our second to last meeting. It is the time of Jack the Ripper. Mm-hmm. Uh, a prostitute kind of is hitting up Dream for a drink. And she looks like she has seen better days. Um, And... Dream says no and just kind of lets himself into the bar and Hobbes is waiting for him. Yep. Hobbes is once again doing well. He's only really had one bad century in this whole thing. Yes. Um, he's learned really how to manage himself. Like he says, um, this area has really gone downhill. I started coming here a month or so back. So I guess he would establish himself as a regular so that he doesn't stand out when he has his meeting with Dream. Yeah, which is smart. He's putting a lot of time into these meetings. Um, 
I like little details like that. Like I like when the co- when a comic book story, Frank Miller's year one did this too. Like thinks of logistics maybe that you weren't even worried about, and then when it explains, it's like when he says, "I I go north and then come back as my own son." Yeah, it's kind of like, oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah, like, so that would get harder to work in more modern times, but it shows that he is planning ahead for you know figuring this out, how to prove to people he's you know. Yeah. Uh, and then what he confronts, what he confronts, um, this is interesting. Yeah, this is great. He, start, he starts confronting Dream about how he sees that he's not the only one who doesn't die. Well, first of all, they talk about Lady Johanna, the woman who right. uh, almost bested them 100 years ago. I guess not almost. Salmon handled her very handily, yep. but the woman who challenged them. But they reference uh, another adventure. Yeah, Dream is like, she undertook a task for me and succeeded admirably, which is a future issue of the Sandman series. Yeah, and at this point, it's still impressive to me. I mean... Um, Again, this collection sells really well, but I don't know how well these issues are selling, how confident Neil Gaiman is like that he's going to tell 75 issues of this. Yeah. But to start seeding future stories already uh, is ballsy to me. I mean, it worked. It might just be the kind of thing where he can casually make that remark and either he doesn't do it. Yeah. And if he doesn't do it, it still serves as yes. just making the world feel bigger that you're in. There's other adventures that we're not telling is what it says. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you're watching an Indiana Jones movie and he's like, this is as bad as the time when I got the whatever. And you, that's not a movie. That's just something yeah, he but they'll make to. that movie and they'll stick every reference into it. Sure. Why not? Netflix will do it in a couple of years. Um, I imagine you and I will be cast as Indiana Jones, co-brothers, co-Indiana <laughs> sure, Joneses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll be cast as a young Indiana Jones. <laughs> <laughs> the worst casting. <laughs> that casting director was fired immediately. <laughs> yeah. Um. So he starts pointing out other people live forever. Like that lady Johanna was a special person, but he goes, I've noticed I'm not the only one who dies. There's somebody named Jason blood or just someone who calls himself blood. I've met half a dozen times. That's Jason blood. Who is the demon? Yeah. A Jack Kirby creation. Mm-hmm. Then he talks about there's mad Hetty down on old Compton street. Been there at least 120 years. Mad as a coot, but she isn't going to die. And I don't know if that's a Neil Gaiman character or a reference to, yeah, I don't know either. That I- might be a John Constantine character. Yes. Um, but she shows up in Sandman later in a game of you. But, um, yeah, Hobbs says to dream death's a compression, a capricious thing isn't it. Dream goes, yes, yes, she is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then the big confrontation Hob basically says, yeah, he's been thinking about what's in it for you dream. Yeah. And he goes, it's not that I'm so wise because I'm not that wise. And it's not because you want to see what happens if somebody lives forever. You've seen what happens because other people live forever. Um, he goes, I think you're here because you want a friend and you want my friendship and you're lonely. He goes, yeah, right? I think you're lonely. He basically is. And I mean, the, and I, I rushed by it, but the way it is said is so nice. Yeah. I think you're here for something else. And what might that be? And just like you say, Kevin, real estate is so precious and they really slow down on this moment. I think you're here for something else. What might that be? Friendship. I think you're lonely. And in this comic with like so many big speeches and dense speech balloons, just a sparse little sentence, I think you're lonely, has a lot of gravity to it. Yeah. uh, And then Dream leaps out of his chair, cloak flowing behind him. You dare? You dare imply that I might be friend immortal? That one of my kind might need companionship? You dare to call me lonely. And Hob, in the face of this all-powerful being who gave him eternal life, 
stands up and goes, yes, yes, I do. And Dream storms off. Yeah. And Hob, at the end of this meeting, tell you what, I'll be here in 100 years' time. If you're here too, that'll be because we're friends. No other reason, right? Right? And Dream has stormed off. And he's, yeah. he's probably wondering if he screwed something up. Yeah, there's a little moment in the way he says the last right where it's like, oh, I might have just overstepped. I yeah. was so bold, but it's it's done. It's there. And this is a theme of um, all throughout the entire Sandman series. It's the evolution of Dream. When we meet him, he's been in prison for a hundred years. In, imprisoned. A hundred years. And yeah. So like shortly after this moment. Yeah. Okay. Actually, it overlaps this moment. It was like a year ago because like the comic Sandman started in like 88 Mm -hmm. and they use that date of when he's freed. So that makes me think he wasn't trapped for a hundred years. Exactly. I'm curious how many years Sandman was trapped. Um, Maybe you're right. Maybe it's always just like. Because I just don't see uh, Neil Gaiman making that mistake 70 years. Oh, thank you. Okay. Yeah, you're right. World War One, he gets imprisoned because that's when the sleeping sickness in real life happened, and Neil Gaiman attributes that to Sandman being captured. Yeah, it is. I just don't see a Neil Gaiman sort of like, eh, one year. Who cares? You're right. You're right. I'm glad you. Because uh, when I was reading that, so. it, I thought I remembered, and I was wrong, that there was like a year where Dream didn't show up because he was trapped, and when that yeah. didn't happen, I was like, oh, they must be just shorter than a hundred years. You were right, and I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm really um, sort of the fan. Uh, the theme of Sandman's character is that he is initially prideful and cold and a loner who is unable to build relationships, which is catnip for a young, sad teenager getting into comic books. And his friendship with Hob is one of the ways he has changed. And this outburst is old dream, old, proud, right. isolating dream. We turn the page and it's 1989 and Hobb is sitting there in sort of a Miami Vice blue pastel suit. And there's a panel where he's just alone. We don't know if Dream is showing up. And there's all the chatter and all of this chatter parallels panel one, but it's modern versions of it. All the signs are there in the Bible. It'll be the end of the world very soon. Somebody else saying no respect for law and order. And I see it. The labor movement died with the miners strike. Um, There's a bloody poll tax. There's going to be a revolution if they try to push it through. And they were using the phrase poll tax in panel one. Um, And then somebody's telling the the joke up her dress. And she says, are you hunting for rabbits again, Vicar? It says Friar in the initial one. But that's the same joke that Mm -hmm. somebody is telling in this same bar. Make more on the dole than they would from an honest day's work. That same thing was said in 1389. Um. And then Hob looks up and Dream shows up looking insane. Yeah. He looks like Lou Reed mixed with Robert Smith. Yeah. He definitely looks like he is filming a music video shortly after this. Yeah. He's about to go join Susie and the Banshees. Uh, Hob says, I wasn't sure you'd be coming. And he goes, really? I've always heard it's impolite to keep one's friends waiting. Would you like a drink? But this is after his capture. So he's been softened. Yes. Uh, He's lost everything. And, uh... And does this take place during, like, does he, like, slip off from Doll's house to have this moment, theoretically? Uh, I guess so. It's not explicitly said, though. Yeah. Um, just as far as character development goes, it's slow and 
comic books are like TV shows that way where it's like characters can develop, but you can't have them develop too fast or like the series is over. Right. So it's like he's having this gradual development to becoming like, and he never becomes like a very warm and cheery, friendly guy, but he becomes a guy who understands, loves his family and has friends by the end of the series. In a convenient way throughout the Sandman comics, he is always willing to doubt himself enough to try things that helps stories happen. Yeah. Uh, and that's the end of um, this comic. Yep. Uh, so overall, Will, did you like it? <laughs> I hate it. Yeah, all right. Piece of crap. I'm, I'm, I'm down on Sandman comics now. I hate them. All right. Surprised you picked it. Uh, uh, what was your favorite moment from this issue? I think I like uh, the fact that that joke doesn't change. The vicar joke. I think that's a fun little thing that he put in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for me, it's got to be when he's down on his luck and he says, uh, death is a mug's game. Yeah. That's such a cool moment. Yeah. Um, it's at that moment you're like, this guy's never going to die. Hobb shows up at least four other times. Yes. I know he that shows, I can think of. And I, I only know of one other, but I do know he shows up because he comes to the funeral. Right. Sandman dies at the end of this comic. Spoiler. This incarnation of Sandman yes. dies and Hobb goes to the funeral. But um, Hobb shows up again pretty soon because in Season of Mists, Sandman is worried he's going to die. And oh, he right. visits Hobb in a dream just to say, hey, I might not make our next meeting because I'm about to go do this battle. I forgot about that. Yes, I remember that too. And then Hobb wakes up and it's a dream that he had of a dream. And um, there's also... Uh, Hob shows up in the World's End series. We see somebody tells the story of being on a boat, and Hob is in that person's story. Great. And then after Dream dies, uh, we see Hob and his life. Um, and I think the new Sandman might visit him. I'm not sure, but we we see Hob post Dream's death also. Mm-hmm. Uh. It's a, it's, he's, I don't know. He's a kind of a high impact character for not a lot of pages devoted to him. I mean, it's probably a cool story. Neil Gaiman knows it's a cool story. Probably got a big reaction. It's like a character you want to bring back. It's his human friend. Yeah. And I don't know how successful the comic book was at the time this came out. I mean, I was now fully in, I was, it was five issues since I started buying it. And I just, I remember reading this issue being like, this comic is awesome. Yeah. I can see that. There's nothing like it. Especially this one that's so self-contained. You're like, you're in the middle of this kind of arc and then this happens. You're just like, ooh, wasn't expecting this. This is what I want from TV shows. My complaint about TV shows often uh, in the binge era is that you don't get episodes like this mm. as much. Um, it's it's rarer, uh, rarer yeah. that shows do that. And my complaint with the Marvel Netflix shows that I couldn't make it through is that it just feels like um, they don't do it's these all- episodes. Yeah. Uh, and you need these episodes. And my one of the things I loved about Buffy the Vampire Slayer is that they did these sorts of things all the time. There'd be arc episodes. Mm-hmm. And X-Files did this too, but Buffy was the show for me that I sort of like could see that happening. Where I'm like, oh, this yeah. one is just sort of a cool story amongst like the threads are all still there. But this is basically just a story. Uh, and that's what this is like. This is just a Sandman story that could have if this was just a, a an anthology this yeah. fits in just fine. You don't need big arcs. Yeah. Uh, and those are cool. I think if it was just those, I don't think actually it would be as great a comic. You'd get, you wouldn't be as connected Weary. to it. You wouldn't be as driven to the next issue, but without these, it's not as fun as series. You need both. Um, 
I like that argument. And when I was picking issues to go over for the series, I tended toward the self-contained issues. Although I wonder if I would like them as much without the arcs, but I don't know. Well, they're also easier to tell, talk about on a podcast if we're not covering the other issues around it. Yeah, that's true. If we're telling like part six of Seasons of the Mist or whatever, it's like, well, well, I don't know. We have to recap so much and it's so much building up. You'd have to tell the whole arc. Right. Because I think when we talked about which issues to cover, I was like, maybe do an arc and then a few of these. Yes, that might have been smart. Uh, I mean, gone a different either way, way you, it was fine. <laughs> you did fine, Will. Uh, we got a ton of email. It. You got time for a few? Yeah, let's do a bunch. All right. Um, let's start with our Benjamin Ordung email of the week. Okay, let's do it. This is his fourth email for those of you keeping track. Uh, history. Uh, what can I say? When I went into the void of comics, I went hard. I collected everything that I could find. Coloring books, trading cards, mail-in goods, figures, etc., If it came out in the early 90s, I grabbed it. Context. I've heard you talk about your board game. I think he's referring to your Fantastic Four board game, Will. Yes. Uh, I've heard you buy a PlayStation to play Spider-Man on the podcast. Uh, That's true. And sadly, I bought the game just last week because of it. My best friend in college ran a weekly Marvel role-playing game, and I got to DM a few adventures as well. I bought all the character stat sheets as well. I also did hero clicks for many years. To the point, did you ever buy cards, play the role-playing game, Enjoy anything comic related other than the comics. Will? Uh, I remember when the original Marvel role playing game was out, like in the early mid to late 80s, my friend George Ferenz got it. And I don't remember playing it. If I did, I only did it once or twice and I never got into it. Um, you know what? No, I, I, I liked posters and T-shirts, but I never really went beyond that. You know, and when the movies came out, I watched the movies, but that that's kind of it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I think maybe we, maybe at some point we even bought the role playing game because I remember having it in the house, but mm. I don't remember ever playing it. It's like you flip through it and it's like, oh, this feels too hard. Yeah. Uh, I had never played D&D at that point. So it just felt, uh, uh, and when later on I would play D&D, D&D is a much smarter entryway, I think, game. But I think uh, to play the Marvel role playing game, you would have had to have played D and D before to really get it, or it seemed to me uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, I think Brian collected trading cards once. I think he bought one set, like okay, because I remember having those around. Um, I was never much into the collectible nature of it. Action figures, I would buy though. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of action figures. The Secret Wars Marvel action figures. Oh man, I love those things. Still, <laughs> I still have a bunch of them. I mean, yeah. they are worn out from playing, but I'm like, I don't want to get rid of them because <laughs> they're, they're so cool. And I would yeah. just sit there and create adventures with them all the time. Yeah. Uh, and those were like the first good Marvel action figures that existed. Um, the closest I would come is I would like back pre-internet, I would look for VHS tapes of like little scene pilots or movies, mm-hmm. you know, to see like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie or yeah. something like that. Like I would... You know, to get a collection of the old Jack Kirby adapted cartoons from Marvel or something, but and yeah. I'd watch them like once. And- but I would say even for those things, and this is not what he's asking. I never, and I think the same is true for you. I, even with the comics, I was never about like, oh, this will be worth something. So I don't care right. about statues and things like that. I don't yeah. leave action figures in boxes. It's more like I wanted to play with them, and I get them now for my son, and it's great watching him play with them. Um, because I'm like, that's what they're for. Like I open them, and like he's rough on them, and he's broken a few and I've glued them back together. I don't care if they're someday going to be worth something. It's just like, cool. That's what they're for. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, we were never, pre- we were never collector fanboys, really. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but I did get really into that Spider-Man PS4 game, and I'm going to get a PS5 to get the next one. But I think what it comes down to is I like the stories. Like, even when I had the action figures, I wanted to create my own stories. And the video game is fun because it's like you're controlling the story and the comics yeah. are the stories. The cards don't have that. I think a role-playing game well-run would have that maybe, but yeah, you need to have somebody who's good at that aspect of it. I, I was a part of a one recently. There's this group called 20-Sided Stories here in L.A., and they do a podcast, and they did like a Marvel season and i was on one episode and i had to create a superhero um to join their sort of x-men ish gang of characters they would have comedians come out every episode and you would just be like a guest in their campaign Mm -hmm. basically uh and they were what was your power i was matter of fact was my name and i could control matter i overpowered myself that's very powerful but I was I was 13 and a half and it wasn't fully manifested, nor could I fully control it. I had some limitation. It was like, I think I could only do one state of matter at a time, like solid, liquid, or gas or something. Um, um, I, forget, I don't remember. Cool choice. Uh, yeah. Jake Dondeville writes us, I've been listening to you since season one. I'm a big fan of the whole show and of your recent year one episodes. Just curious, as you both seem to be big fans of David Mazzuchelli's artwork, if you're familiar with Astros Polyp. Mm, uh, yes. Did you read that, Will? I did. What did you think of it? Um, it was it was hard to get through. The art was beautiful, um, but the story did not grab me. Um, it it I read it just out of loyalty to Mazzuchelli, um, but it was it was too dense for me. Or it was there was it was too big. Weirdly, yeah, I never read it. Um, I think it looked too um, uh, too yeah too dense is probably the right word. Too, too, too hard to get into. Like it felt like I don't know. It also came out. Um, even though I re- I still read so many comics, like I now read them like in between things constantly, and something like that felt like oh I need to sit down and read this. I'm never gonna yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, in terms of other Mazzucelli, City of Glass is the Mazzucelli thing that I really love. He adapted this novel, City of Glass. Uh, and I recommend that to anybody who's a fan of Year One or Born Again. Um, he might be a better artist than a writer, and better, maybe better cinematographer of somebody else's script, kind of. That might be, yeah. And he did his own indie comic called Rubber Blanket, and I hunted down three issues of that, and that was quite fun. I remember you showing um, me one of those issues, and it was cool, but I don't remember much about it. There's one story he did, which is basically a Hulk story. That's the it's one I'm remembering, Hulk. yeah. And it's really good. Um, It is like a short story where there is a Hulk-like character in this small town and everyone is scared of him. And it's it's got the Mazzuchelli power. It's like minimalist and spare and emotional and cool. And that's worth hunting down if you're a Mazzuchelli fan. Uh, I'll probably, I should give Asterios another shot because I respect him so much that if that's his masterpiece, I want to read it again. But yeah. Just kind of like buying Steve Ditko's stuff that he considered his masterpieces was maybe not as much fun as the stuff he did more casually. That might be true for Mazzuchelli, too. Yeah, that might be. Uh, we got an email from Jimmy Gresham. Gresham, mm-hmm. sorry. Hey, Milk Slops. Nice. Good variation. Longtime listener, first-time emailer, three-time jaywalker. Question for you guys. If you had to be the human alter ego of any superhero, who would it be and why? So I'm assuming this mm-hmm. means we don't get the power side of it. Yeah, maybe Tony Stark just to be like a rich, powerful dude. Would you enjoy be kind of being? Fun. Would you enjoy being Tony Stark? Yeah, man, I like gadgets and stuff. You know, <laughs> gadgets and stuff. Well, I mean, I don't want to be. I'm thinking about jobs. Like, I don't want to be a yeah. lawyer. 
Uh-huh. I don't want to be a poor Peter Parker. Like Peter Parker without Spider-Man is like a rip. No, you don't want to be Peter Parker. That's a terrible choice. I mean, other than like he's surrounded by beautiful women constantly. <laughs> His life sort of stinks. Um, um, Clark Kent would be pretty good. Yeah, to be a reporter like that would be kind of fun. Fight A fighter jet pilot like Hal Jordan. Hal Jordan would be, you, that'd be pretty cool. That's a good choice. Barry um, Allen would be pretty boring. I don't want to be a CSI guy in a real cop. You know, world. I, I, it's not a Stephen as, Strange, you know, a really arrogant surgeon. <laughs> but that's not his alter. He doesn't really have an alter ego anymore, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, but um, yeah, um, I think Hal Jordan's a good pick. I'm sticking with Tony. I mean, Tony Stark's the obvious pick for me, man. I'll just I'll be like the Elon Musk. I'll I'll run stuff. What about Aquaman? I'm assuming I'm. What about Aquaman, mm-hmm. King of Atlantis? But without his powers, you got to hold your breath and go down there and give well, a bunch it of orders. Like you and- just can't go up. You can't breathe on land. Oh, okay. <laughs> That'd be my take um, on it. Uh, those are his powers. Um, can't talk to fish. I don't know. I'm not going to be Aquaman. Even with powers, I don't want to be Aquaman. <laughs> I don't want to be Certainly, Aquaman either. Certainly I don't, not I don't without be, powers. I don't want to be a king. Um, I think Clark Kent uh, would be pretty fun. Being Reed, being Reed Richards might not be bad. Yeah. Johnny Storm would be easy. Yeah, that, that life's a breeze. Um, yeah. I'm going to go Hal Jordan, test pilot. Oh, man, that'd be terrifying, though. Could I do it? I don't think so. I'm talking myself out of it. How about Booster Gold, like an athlete in the future? Uh, Kyle Rayner later on, Green, uh, Green Lantern, was a comic book artist. Yeah, that's funny. I yeah. love it. Because they wanted him to be creative. Or maybe How just an Bruce artist. Bruce Wayne? Like, without Batman, he could be like a, that could be a good life. Yeah, but you're his secret identity, right? You're not just rich dude. You're the tormented guy who's dwelling on his parents' death all the time, but doesn't get oh, yeah, to beat mind. up the Joker. Okay, yeah, forget it. Uh, Wonder Woman? How about Woman? Zot? How about Wonder Woman? I'll be a, a princess of Themyscira. <laughs> it's not bad. Uh, their, uh, their secret identities probably aren't. For me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm I'm the secret identity I want to be. I need the superhero part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a fun question. I got que- the secret a, identity part down. It's a fun question. I think Hal Jordan might be the coolest. Okay, yeah. Uh, anyway. Uh, oh, here's a great one, Will. Okay. Sean Reedy uh, emailed us. Yeah. Uh, thank you for all you've done. Uh, oh, sorry. Thank you all for... Let me start over. Thank you for all you've done, you perfectly prodigious podcast personalities. But nice. before you think this is another email from the Screw It Society of Suckups, let's get to the action. Uh, <laughs> that is my best Stan Lee impression, and I'm already exhausted. I have no idea how he did it. <laughs> That's a good point. It was good, though. It was very good. Uh, That's so why I had to restart a few times. I wanted to get I wanted to read the words correctly. <laughs> I've been a big fan for a while. I'm a New York co- City comedy person, so I've seen both of you be hilarious in various capacities. Thank you. Ooh. And now you've given me a reason to revisit some of my favorite comic books of all time, so thank you. I love the Batman Year One episode so far, but my question is semi-related to your JLI episodes. Um, any plans to read the one-shot Spider-Man The Short Halloween? Are you familiar with that, Will? No. I mean, I know Batman the Long Halloween. Sure. Spider-Man the Short Halloween. I'll uh, I'll read this. While Keith Giffen or James DeMettis don't have anything to do with it, Kevin McGuire does the art and Bill Hader and Seth Meyers wrote it, giving it a vibe fairly similar to JLI. Also sure they were already on SNL, but since they wrote a Spider-Man comic, can we give Steve Ditko credit for the careers of Hader and Meyers? Only (laughs) seems fair. Uh, The subject, by the way, of this email is Steve Ditko created Barry. (laughs) 
Uh, and I think that's fair. I think, uh, I think Bill, that's Bill fair, Hader's yeah. entire career is a Steve Ditko creation now. Yep, and all the characters. So Steve Ditko created Stefan. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Spider-Man the Short Halloween is sort of a, it's a comedy issue. I think they maybe handpicked Kevin McGuire to do it for, draw it for them, because uh, I know Seth Meyers is a huge JLA fan. Um, and the name is obviously a parody of The Long Halloween. Yeah. Um, but Will hasn't read it. I read it once. I don't remember it. So unless Seth agrees to be on our podcast, I don't think we'll cover it. <laughs> yeah. Seth, gauntlet. Seth, gauntlet dropped. Yeah. Uh, we'll take Bill too. Nah, can't do it. It's got to be Seth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Not interested. I know for a while Seth's like social media avatar was him as Blue Beetle. Yes. Yeah. I think Kevin McGuire drew that for him. Um, yeah, of course we'd have Bill Hader, uh, you know. Pat Oswald, Oswald also wrote some comic books. Anyway, it, uh, it's open there for you comedian comic book guys. Yeah. Open door. Um, Sean continues. Lastly, what's truly the greater insult, panty waste or milk sop? Uh, since I had to look up both to see what they actually meant, I assume it's <laughs> neither, but I thought it wouldn't hurt to ask. We talked a little bit about this at one point, right, Will? Yeah. Well, panty waste is like you're a weak womanly man. Like yeah. you wear panties. And then Milksop is like just you're a soft, you know, non-muscular weakling. They're yeah. both sort of like anti-masculine things. Yes. They're both bad, um, but uh, I don't like panty waste anymore. I mean, it's funny to read, but... I, S- since I... It's, it's very funny. I disrespect it. I'm like, yeah, so what? I'm a, I'm a woman. Like, so, you know, I'm not, ins- I'm not insulted by it, so I guess I'd rather be called that because def- I would deflect it in my head easier. Yeah. But Milksop, I probably would like the person who's insulting me as a Milksop more. Yeah. I like Milksop more. Uh, uh, Penny Waste, it almost like isn't an insult. It's almost like calling call, you calling somebody a woman, right? Yeah. Where it's like, hey, you look worse than I do in that. You you bra top. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we have a bunch more. I'm going to read two more. Okay. This one's from Mike Santa, uh, Santagata. Mike Santagata. Okay. Hello, Good. panty wastes. Uh, well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, it you're, is on game, though. Yeah, I, no, I, know I don't mind it. From. I don't mind it. Um, despite what I just said, I like it in the email form. We know where it's coming from. Your podcast led me to read Batman Year One for the first time, and I thought it was amazing. Ooh. Oh, thank God. Definitely my favorite Batman comic that I have ever read. And here's the important yes. part, Will. I actually agree with Kevin that a comic focused on Gordon with Batman working in the background <laughs> would be amazing. Uh, not so much the idea of a Harvey Dent comic, but I'd give it a shot. Uh, uh, and I'd say to Mike uh, is make sure you check out Gotham Central. It isn't nearly as good as Batman Year One, but it does bring, and it's, Gordon's not in it, but it is the Gotham uh, PD working in sort of the shadow of Batman, and it's great. Um, the only disappointing thing about this comic is that we didn't get to read the story they were setting up next with the Joker, which is sort of what's cool about it, but also they would have knocked it out of the park if they did that story. Yeah. Um, uh, what are some comic runs you would recommend, but probably won't do for the podcast? Whoa. Any idea? Will? uh, we talked about so many. Yeah. Um, it's so hard to know cause like, we could do anything. Well, there's a lot of John Byrne Fantastic Fours that are really fun. I would say The Trial of Galactus is like one of the all-time great John Byrne Fantastic Four issues. Uh, also, The Trial of Reed Richards. Mm-hmm. Um, wait, is that the one? I'm th- is that the s- that's the same thing? That might be the same thing. Same thing. The Trial of Reed Richards for uh, 
his crimes against Galactus. Yeah. Um, and, uh, or is he, for the failure to destroy Galactus. So that's like an amazing issue. Um, what else? Or just, uh, I, I mean, mean, I love the comic book Zot, which is not well known. We might not ever have time to get to that. Yeah. I think, I mean, again, we might cover this, but I think the Walt Simons and Thor stuff is great. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Um, that's How about the, the two, the Juggernaut story in Spider-Man, the two-part Spidey vs. Juggernaut that Roger Stern wrote yeah. is really fun and great. We did cover that, but uh, it is great. Oh, we did. <laughs> that was in our uh, ones we, whatever, future classics or something. I forget what we called it. I liked it so much I picked it even though we already covered it. Um, but it's great. I mean, definitely read those. Um, the, I'm rereading the Roger Stern run on Amazing right now, and it's good. It starts out good. It's spotty and it's hard to get as an arc, maybe, but it's good. Um, if you like Spider-Man, uh, Batman-wise, it's tough. I weirdly think the Batman No Man's Land comics are really good for the first two thirds. It doesn't end great. Um, there's a ton of volumes of that, and I don't know how easy they are to find now. But it, it's basically a story where like Gotham is, uh, all the bridges are blown and tunnels are collapsed, and there's like they just abandoned Gotham. They do their best to get everyone to leave Gotham and are like, leave it to the to the supervillains. Um, and Batman stays to try to save it, um, which is a crazy concept, but it's a, a genuinely fun comic if you hmm. get past that concept. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answer. That's my answer. Thank you. For, it's a question that we should have been able to answer. Yeah. One more and then we'll call it Will. Okay. This is from Will Cobe. Uh, you discussed when Frank Miller started his decline, uh, but what would you consider his nadir? I'd propose holy terror, but I haven't read all of this stuff. As I've heard it, uh, as I've heard it came about because 9-11 kind of broke Miller, so he wrote a Batman comic. When DC read the story where every Middle Eastern character was linked to a plot with a nuclear bomb in Gotham Sewer, DC bowed out. So he erased the ears off Batman, colored him yellow, and named him the fixer and released it himself. And I've not read that comic, but I have heard about it, and it does sound atrocious. Well, I mean, I have not read it. I do remember at the time of 9-11 reading Frank Miller blog posts and he basically was like, look, these Muslims have declared war on us. Like, what do you want? What do you want me to say? Like, you know, I don't have to like that or forgive that out of political correctness or I, I don't know. That's yeah. not a quote, but that was like the gist of his thing. And it was like very angry. Yeah. Uh, I'll say generously, it was a scary time in America and a lot of people had a lot of angry things to say. Um, but I felt there was a lack of compassion and empathy and it felt to me more like he was like, well, what is the pulpy crime noir angle on this world event rather than what is my view of it as a human being? And he, he, he just became sort of unreliable to me as a person, but it is certainly possible for people whom I do not agree with to make art that I like. Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe Holy Terror was a, was a well done Frank Miller story. Certainly when he's on his game, he knows how to tell a story. Um, uh, yeah, th I, that comic sort of feels a little bit like almost like therapy, doing self therapy. How would you deal with this situation? But I don't know something about doing something that angry and hateful, spending the time of coming up with the idea and then drawing all those pages and inking it and coloring it or whatever else has to be done and completing it and then putting it out. At some point there, don't you go like, ah, is this the, is this the comic I want to make? You've got a lot of chances to just say like, great, I got it out of my system. Yeah. 
Um, I have not read enough late period Miller to know what his nadir is. Um, um, and yeah, it'd maybe, be hard to say. I've only I've only read boring Miller. I've never read Miller that I like loathed. Like Dark Knight um, Strikes Again, kind of bored me. Like I can't even remember what happens. But I wasn't like mad at him, and I, then, like I don't I don't get mad at it, but I found it boring, but also kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, like it felt like it weirdly felt like uh, somebody was told to do it as much like Miller as they could. But it and was they just Miller didn't get it. it. And like Zack Snyder was the guy they hired or something. It was like, I know what Frank Miller likes. It we felt talk a, a lot about like how like the stories we like feel like these fully realized worlds where like there's all this unspoken backstory behind the characters. And Miller's bad stuff doesn't have that feeling. It feels very surface. Yeah. It felt like an Elseworlds. It just felt like here's Wonder Woman. Here's Flash now. Here's and it's like, yeah, okay. Like seeing where Green Arrow was wasn't what made Dark Knight cool. It was how that serviced the story and everything else. Uh, Green Arrows and Dark Knight Returns for those. Um, Uh, We've still got a ton of emails. We're going to cover more of those next time, Will. Okay, great. But that doesn't mean you can't email us, people. Yeah, email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. That email is left over from our first season, screwitspidey at gmail. We also have a screwitcomics on Instagram and screwitcomics on Twitter. Those are the best ways to reach us. Then for you total screwits, you complete your completists, we got screwitrecent on Instagram and screwitspidey um, uh, if you want to go nuts. those That's our social media presence. Yeah. Um until then, Will, good job. <laughs> good job, Kevin. Bye. See you in a hundred years. Screw it, screw it. Just screw it. Comics. I'm Kate Thompson. And I'm Mark David Christensen. And together we host Ah oh, Crap. A Hellboy podcast. The show dedicated to the half-demon hero brought forth by writer-artist Mike Mignola and published by Dark Horse Comics. Each week, we discuss everything Hellboy. Plus his expanded universe with the BPRD, Abe Sapien, Lobster Johnson, and many more. That's Aw Crap, a Hellboy podcast on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire.